morning, it's my pleasure to introduce to you the Reverend Dr. Craig Babb. Um, Craig, many of you have been through his uh, spiritual formation classes. If you haven't, at the end of the message today, you might want to come up and talk to him to get information on how you can uh, join in. Uh, Craig is on part of a spiritual order that uh, Dan and Marta and I are also a part of. It's a group of pastors and ministry professionals from the Kansas City area. And we get together monthly for the purposes of taking care of one another's souls and prayer and retreat so that we're not uh, drifting alone here in the ministry universe. So Craig is in that order with us. Um, We just recently had a prayer retreat. and I think there's about 18 pastors and ministry professionals from around the Kansas City area all in prayer together just a few weeks ago. and, And Craig led that retreat. So Craig's one of the first folks I ever heard preach here at Lakeland about prayer, fasting, silence, solitude, these types of things that are, you're all well aware of now because uh, they're integrated into part of Lakeland. But, um, you know, we had a moment of silence at the start of the service um, for prayer, the encouragement to have some times of silence during a worship service came from Craig. Uh, Dan right now is at a retreat leading 25 people in prayer from the congregation. So the idea of retreats and those things came to us from Craig. In fact, before this month's over, 50 people from the Lakeland congregation will be part of a, a, a weekend prayer retreat. And so, uh, but we learned all of that from Craig, you know, years ago. So this morning, you get to hear from Yoda, the Jedi master who instructed me. So let's, uh, let's welcome Dr. Craig Babb. Good morning. Good to be with you all again. Um, I don't know about that Yoda thing. I do know that as you get older, get more gray hair, people think you know what you're talking about. (laughs) Well, it is good to be with you all. I'm, uh, it's interesting that uh, every time I get to come and speak um, here, Dan is gone. <laughs> I'm not sure what the interest is in that other than I'm wondering, you know, what, what he's thinking. But, you know, Dan and I uh, have, have been journeying together for a really long period of time, since he was in high school, actually, uh, and I was a, a college student, um, I think one of my very first recollections of Dan was in a uh, small group uh, of guys that uh, came over to the youth group that, that I was a part of and leading. And um, I remember sitting around trying to just talk about some basic things of the faith uh, with, with these young little rebels. And um, I was asking some basic questions, you know, about uh, you know, salvation and, and how you get to go to heaven and stuff like that. And, you know, I said to the group, you know, will I get to heaven, you know, if I uh, live a good life and give money to missionaries and stuff like that? And, and they all gave the, the appropriate, you know, answer, resounding, no. And uh, then I asked uh, the question, you know, well, how about if I clean up the church after Sunday services and volunteer to work on various committees and things like that? And again, no. And then this is where I'm pretty darn certain it was Dan because of 
the brilliance of the response. He basically said, yeah, you really got to die. <laughs> Dan's so smart. He just cuts to the chase. He gets right, right to the bottom of it. You got to be dead. Very insightful. Um, Dan's had quite a journey. His own spiritual development, his own journey of faith. And I know that last week he, he shared with you um, out, of, out of the book called The, the Critical Journey, uh, which is a great text that helps us understand the various stages of uh, spiritual life. And as Dan has uh, allowed his life to intersect with that book, and as he's grown from that, I know he was sharing with you some of those uh, critical steps. And the reason it's so important that we understand you know, these stages of our faith development, not so that we can go and achieve them, but to know and to be prepared for what God actually has in mind for us as we continue to grow in our faith. Um, we we uh, have an important uh, role to play in that. And in fact, this morning, what I want to do is, is try to uh, outline for you very quickly what I call five survival kit exercises that we get to do um, to be a part of our faith development. I call them survival kit because there's a lot of things that you can choose to do, but I believe it's these five things, as we unpack them, that if you use them and you learn the skills involved with these five things, then anything else that you might choose to, to do as, as a spiritual exercise will be enhanced because of, of what uh, the skill is that you've learned in these other things. As we begin this morning, I want to um, go to a couple of texts of Scripture to kind of set the table for us. Uh, and the first one comes in the Old Testament out of the prophet Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah speaks for God when he says this, This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. You can picture it. The pilgrim, the journeyer, he's come to a, a place where there's many options. Lots of things to choose from. And God says, look for the ancient path. Ask for that old good way and then walk in it. And if you walk down that path, he says, you will find rest for your souls. New Testament lesson out of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11. This is a text where my little ministry, Rhythm of Grace, uh, literally stole the name from uh, out of this place. Jesus begins with these questions. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on real? Well, come to me. Get away with me. And you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace, and I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Just keep company with me, 
and you will learn to live freely and lightly. These two texts both invite us to ultimately find rest for our souls. The thing that our hearts yearn for is to be at rest. Now, rest doesn't mean vacation. Rest for the soul doesn't mean that that everything in life from here on is going to be peachy keen and wonderful and, and we'll have no difficulties at all. Rest means really living as a follower. Living as a follower. Life without striving. That is, there's somebody who is blazing the trail ahead of us and we just merely need to follow. There is great rest when we learn to follow. And as we learn to follow, what we learn is we're walking in this unforced rhythm of grace. Grace. Grace is that that empowering presence of God in our lives, which, which makes us be whatever it is he's calling us to be and to do whatever it is he's inviting us to do. Whatever the future is, grace is there to take you. Grace is the thing that causes faith to develop and to grow. And so we move into those different stages. Now, having said that, Dallas Willard has been known to suggest this, that while it is by grace alone that we grow in faith, grace is not opposed to effort. Very important to understand. Grace is, is not opposed to effort. In both of those texts, we find that there's a lot of work to be done. Standing, looking, walking, working, following. All of those things require some energy on our parts. All of those things require something of us, even standing. For most of us who are so busy wanting to go here and there and and be productive people, standing requires a lot of effort. And so the effort that we get to utilize then um, puts us in a position to recognize and receive grace. You catch that. The, the work that we do, the spiritual exercises that we do, put us in a position to recognize and receive grace. So what are spiritual disciplines? What are spiritual exercises? Henry Nouwen gives us a great little quote when he talks about what spiritual exercises, spiritual disciplines are. He says this, there are many spiritual disciplines, almost anything that can regularly ask us to slow down and order our time, desires, thoughts, in order to counteract selfishness, impulsiveness, or hurried fogginess of mind can be a spiritual discipline. I remember years ago, sitting with another pastor, we were commiserating, which is what pastors do when they get together. They commiserate. Uh, We were commiserating this particular time about um, our wives. Uh, It it seems that that wives have a very common uh, affliction 
and, and that is that when one chooses to make the bed, they must be done with hospital corners. Now, I, I found that to just to be you know, absolutely ridiculous. And, and so did my pastor friend. And we were commiserating about the irritations that this was bringing to us because we never seemed to be able to live up to our wives' standards of hospital corners in making the bed. Um, and so in this discussion, it, the light bulb went on for me, and, and I said, okay, Tim, here's what we're going to do. For the next 30 days, we're going to covenant together that we're going to make the bed every day the way our wives want it made. And we're going to get back together again and see what's happened to us. See, in, in simply making the bed uh, for our spouses, we began to engage into a spiritual discipline because we were intentionally trying to listen for what it was doing to us. So anything... Even making the bed can be a spiritual discipline. In my research and, and work over the last 38 years of looking at spiritual disciplines, I have, I've cataloged 30 that are classic disciplines. Now, I know there are books out there that, that you know, it's almost an encyclopedia of different disciplines and things, and I love those resources. Uh, they're very helpful. But this is, this is my list of 30 classic disciplines. And what I mean by classic is that these have been done for a really long time. <laughs> these have been done actually even in, in other faith traditions. Uh, all ways in which uh, the history books have shown us people have engaged in in order to connect with God and to have faith developed. Now, in that list of 30 there, there are five of them that are relatively new, um, you know, things, things like retreats, um, that's kind of new, uh, accountability groups, small groups, you know, a lot of churches have those kind of things going on right now, even though those have really been around for a really long time, particularly if you, you know, know your church history, and you know, like John Wesley, you know, back in those days had these uh, little groups that, you know, bands that he would get together to do accountability with. But those, those five are, are just simply some of the newer kinds of things, but people have done them, obviously, for a, a long time. And then there are five that I look to as being, um, yeah, and I, yeah, there's only four. No, there's five highlights, yeah. Um, these five are what I call the survival kit. You got to take these with you. You got to pack these things, even though they may seem somewhat insignificant or, yeah, like, oh, yeah, no, no, duh. Not as exciting as some of the other ones, um, whatever. These five, I believe, if you learn the skills that these five teach you, no matter what you choose to do uh, in any of the other disciplines, as you look at the, the fuller list again of, of the disciplines, any of those disciplines. Um, these will enhance and help you in, in whatever else you choose. They will provide benefit for you in your faith development. Um, 
whatever discipline you may, you may choose to do, you've got to utilize the skills learned from the survival kit disciplines because they're going to enhance anything else. But here's the thing that you have to understand. In every discipline you choose, you will first and foremost be irritated. And that is the beginning point of the benefit that that discipline will bring to you. Irritations. I was irritated at having to make the bed in a way that I didn't want to make it. Um, It was a new skill that I had to learn. There was patience involved. And I didn't want to be patient. I just wanted to throw the covers up, you know, at best. (laughs) Um, Every discipline that you engage in will prick a little bit of irritation for you. And it should. So don't get confused that when that irritation comes, that somehow that's the devil telling you not to do this anymore. That it's not right, that it's not correct, that you're not doing it right, or, or any of those other kind of things. And so we enter into you know, some kind of spiritual warfare. The irritation is there because of the Holy Spirit. That's why I call those irritations the Holy Spirit irritations. This is where the Spirit of God is beginning to work in your life. To show you, to point out to you, to demonstrate to you, to pull out of you areas that you need to lay down. Things that you've got to let go of. This is the beginning point of the benefit of any spiritual discipline. So, We're going to take a look at five, real quick. Basically, just give you a a super shallow overview. If you want more in-depth stuff, you know, on particularly those five or any of the other disciplines and how they work and intersect with other disciplines, well, the unabashed advertisement now is that you got to sign up for Pilgrim's Process, my course that I teach, and um, we'll teach you that, tell you how to do that, and. um, but let's look at these, these five that, that I uh, look to as being the most significant and helpful for any of the other disciplines. The first one is the rhythm of fasting. Fasting. It's the most common of the classic disciplines. And as you look at Foster's quote there, Richard Foster's quote, he, he speaks to us about how this discipline works. He says, the central idea of fasting you know, is the voluntary denial of an otherwise normal activity or normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. There's nothing wrong with any normal life function. It's simply that there are times when we set them aside in order to concentrate. When we view fasting from this perspective, we can see its reasonableness as well as its broader dimensions. Foster concludes that fasting has broader dimensions than just food, than merely food fasting. Uh, But I will say this, food fasting is probably the most common and most instructive of the types of fast that you can engage in. Um, So here's a a simple, quick definition that, that I use to help us understand uh, about fasting. 
choosing to abstain from a normal activity for a period of time in order to be trained to hear God's voice. Choosing to abstain from something that's just normal for a period of time. And that's significant. What that means is there's a beginning time and an ending time. You're not doing this forever, but you're going to do it for a season, for a short period of time, whatever that, that period may be that, that you choose. Um, this simple definition, I think, helps us unpack the truth that every spiritual discipline is really kind of a fast. Any other discipline you're going to choose in or choose to do, you're going to cease doing something else in order to engage in that. But when you engage in it, you're listening. You're paying attention to something. Now, the irritation in food fasting is what? Hunger. We, we get hungry. Uh, let's just say you've chosen to fast, you know, for a, 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 a sun-up to sundown fast which really basically means we're going to skip dinner uh, because we're going to eat after the sun goes down. We've marked it out on our calendar. So we're going to skip breakfast and we're going to skip lunch. So what happens about 10 o'clock in the morning? Yeah, we start getting a little, you know, lightheaded. You know, our, our uh, blood sugar level is dropping and we know we're going to faint. We know we're going to pass out. We know this isn't a good thing. And so we begin rationalizing. And what are we rationalizing? Well, Maybe God didn't really mean breakfast and lunch. Maybe he just meant uh, breakfast because it's almost time for lunch, so let's just do that. Or maybe God didn't mean this kind of fast. Maybe he meant something else. And so we pull the plug on it and we quickly go to something else. Or maybe, you know, God meant tomorrow and not today. Uh, and so we run and, and grab a snack and, and we, you know, fill ourselves up. The hunger is the irritation. And that right there, when, when we start rationalizing, is the point at which the Spirit begins to work the deepest in us. To begin to show us what we're really attached to. What we really crave more than this time of, of listening. And being with the Lord. So the skill that we have to learn in fasting is how to pay attention to irritations and see them as something that the Spirit is doing. That it's a positive thing, even though we're feeling irritated. If you can learn to do that, because this irritation and irritation is going to happen in any other discipline, if you learn how to pay attention, you'll learn what the Spirit is saying to you about what's blocking your faith development, about the things that you're holding on to that, that uh, maybe are not healthy, uh, ways of responding to people, just all kinds of things that irritate us. So if you want to begin fasting, if you want to learn how to start fasting, particularly in our culture, I ran, ran across uh, a lady, I don't know, 20 years ago, uh, Sister Mary Margaret Funk, who had this great little piece of advice on how to start fasting for people in our culture. And she says this, if you want to start to fast, eat only what you should eat when you should eat it. If you can do that, 
you're well on your way to fasting because I guarantee you, if you eat only what you should eat, when you should eat it, it's going to irritate the crud out of you. It's going to cut out all of the, the foods that you know are not good for you. We don't have to go through a nutrition seminar to know what's good for us and what's not. There's common wisdom there. But when to eat them? It's going to cut out all of the, you know, snacking and, and uh, things like that that uh, usually, you know, bring about closing us down, shutting us off from what the Spirit is really trying to say to us. Eat only what you should eat when you should eat it. I think it's great wisdom. A second one, which are called the twins. If you've ever been around twins, you know uh, that mothers always like to dress them up and make them look alike, and they, you know, like to fool people and and get people, you know, to not, not know who they are and all that sort of thing. But if you get to know twins and you know them well, you know the differences. You see the personality differences and, and how they're, they're unique unto themselves. Well, there are two spiritual disciplines that act as twins, solitude and silence. They seem to go together all the time. They show up at every retreat together or every kind of spiritual exercise that you want to do you know, there's somehow solitude and silence are there. But if you get to know them, you know that there are distinctions, that there are two different, you know, they are two different kinds of, of disciplines. So let me uh, look here at uh, the uh, discipline of uh, solitude. Solitude, John Ortberg quotes us and, and tells us, um, as soon as I get to it on my paper... Solitude is the one place where we can gain freedom from the forces of society that will otherwise relentlessly mold us. Solitude, pushing away, pulling away. Here's a, here's a simple definition for solitude. Choosing to be apart from others for a period of time in order to better listen for the voice of God in order to better be with others. The purpose of solitude, to get away, is relational so that you know how to better be with other people. To engage in solitude is going to push against every form of cultural norm for us. Solitude pushes us back into a place of rest. And that's the one thing that we in our productive, crazed culture demand. Or one thing we don't demand is, is to rest. We want you to be productive. Go do something. That's why solitude oftentimes uh, pushes against everything our culture demands of us. And so it becomes very, very countercultural. We call it oftentimes uh, wasting time. And that's right. We are. We're going to have some divine wasting of time. We're going to have some holy leisure here. And that's what happens when you engage with solitude. To get away, to be with others, or to be away from others, so that you might better know how to be with others. You need that space. The irritation is going to be loneliness. You're going to feel lonely. It's just going to be you and God. And then Henry Nouwen says, will that be enough? All of the scaffoldings, and he lists a bunch of scaffoldings 
you know, the things that prop us up, our, our relationships, our work environment, uh, the things that we're responsible for, all those things that help us be secure are gone. Will God be enough for you? That's what solitude brings to us. It's going to irritate you at first because you want to check your cell phone. You're going to want to check your emails. You're going to want to check, you know, the connections with all those people. Solitude says no. It's just you and me. It's twin silence. Foster says this, without silence, there is no solitude. Though silence sometimes involves the absence of speech, it always involves the act of listening. Foster brings out the twinness of solitude and silence. They they work together. But the skill here in silence is learning how to listen for the still, small voice of God. But learning to listen... And all of their listening skills are always, always an irritation to our egos. Because we love to talk. We love to give our opinions. We love to be the one voicing truth and to express ourselves. Silence requires us to close our mouths for a period of time. Catherine Doherty, a Russian Orthodox, has that great, great quote that says, a day filled with noises and voices can be a day of silence if the noises become for us the echo of the presence of God, if the voices are for us messages and solicitations of God. Catherine is suggesting that silence doesn't mean no noise. In silence, what's happening is we're choosing not to speak. The noises that we hear, the noises that we run into as we experience this discipline could very well be the very voice of God for us. So here is this definition of silence. Choosing to not speak for a period of time in order to concentrate on listening for the voice of God. You're going to do this for a period of time. Again, there's a beginning and an ending. It's not forever. You're going to choose to not talk and really focus on listening. The next discipline is that of the scriptures. Scriptures for us in our faith development are absolutely critical. The scriptures, if you want to learn to hear God's voice, you've got to learn it through the scriptures because that is the voice of God for us. To spend time in the scriptures is that place where we can learn uh, about who God is. We learn about what the Father's heart is and how, what he demands of us. The scriptures, if you want to hear the still, small voice of God, is learned through spending time in the Scriptures. And so I think there are three ways that we can be in the Scriptures. The first is that of the discipline of study. And study is where we dive into the Scriptures and and we, um, you know, 
pull out of the text of Scripture things that we want to learn about who God is, about what his heart is. Scripture study is absolutely necessary and foundational in faith development. You've got to learn how to do that. So you go in there and you, you learn about background information. You learn about you know, thought patterns by outlining a text. You, you learn about particular words that are significant words or phrases and, and you find out their meanings and then you go look at other places in the scriptures you know, to find out where it uses that same kind of uh, idea. And that's called Bible study. It's, it's this discipline of study. And through the discipline of study, we learn about our orthodoxy. We learn about what truth is. Again, we're diving into the text in order to, to have the Spirit teach us about who God is and what His heart is all about and how His heart beats for us. The other way to be in the Scriptures is, is through the, uh, the discipline of, of uh, spiritual reading. Spiritual reading enhances the discipline of study. We turn to the writers and the teachers that can bring insight into particular applications of the Father. Um, but don't confuse the two. There is a difference between reading a book about the Scriptures and reading the Scriptures. But there's a great benefit that we learn out of uh, spiritual reading. And then there's the third, and that's devotional reading of Scriptures. And here's a very interesting text that, that I find um, kind of amusing um, when we talk about devotional reading. It comes out of the book of Revelation. It says, I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take it and eat it. It'll turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it'll be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and I ate it. And it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Doesn't sound like a real exciting experience to go into the scriptures and puke. But that's the visual image of, of what really happens oftentimes when we do devotional reading of scripture. Because the devotional reading of scripture is where we dive into that text of scripture same one that we did for study, but instead of the Spirit showing us things about God, now we're going to dive into it and let the Spirit show us things about ourselves, about us, about bringing to the conscious level things that we need to pay attention to, things that are blocking our faith development, things that we need to learn to lay down. So the devotional style of Scripture is absolutely essential in understanding uh, what God wants to say to us about us. We get it theoretically in study, but now it becomes this practical, intimate sort of communication through devotional reading. And one of the classic ways to do devotional reading is that of what's, what's called around here these days Lectio Divina. So if you hear of any opportunities to engage in Lectio and to learn the steps of Lectio and how you do that, sign up. Get sick to your stomach. It'll be great. And finally, the last one 
is this one that I call noticing. It's, it's the, really the, the beautiful work of romance. In, in this, we look at Psalm 139, and the beginning and the very end of that psalm is such a beautiful, beautiful expression of love. You have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. And then he concludes, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. And then lead me in the way of everlasting. Here's a picture of somebody who is allowing another to look at them. To look at them intently. Here is somebody who is trusting somebody else the privilege of gazing upon them. And not only to look at the deepest parts of who they are, but to express what they see. And I don't know of any other description but romance and love than that kind of vulnerability between two people. And so here the psalmist is saying, God, love on me. I want you to love on me. You know me. You know everything about me. Tell me what you see. And in this discipline of noticing, we, we learn um, to let God look at us. The very simple definition is, is just simply that. We use, uh, well, let me back up before that. Ignatius wrote in his spiritual exercises about this kind of noticing, and he called it the prayer of examine. And in that prayer, um, Foster gives us kind of an understanding of, of how this works. He says, what is this prayer of examine? He says it has two basic aspects, like two sides of a door. The first is an examine of consciousness, through which we discover how God has been present to us throughout the day and how we have responded to his loving presence. The second aspect is an examine of conscience in which we uncover those areas that need cleaning and purifying and healing. Foster, I think, helps us understand that there are two basic kinds of things that you're doing in this prayer of examine. Two things you need to learn how to do. One of them is to pay attention to the reminders, you know, of where God showed up in your life. Where has God showed up in life today? You do this kind of prayer oftentimes at the end of the day or at the end of some experience, like you could walk out of church here today, you could go out to a restaurant, or when you go home, you can do the prayer of exam. Okay, how was worship? How was this discipline of worship that I just engaged in helpful? Where did you show up today, God? Was there something in the lyrics of the music? You know, was there a conversation that you had that God spoke through somebody? Was it, you know... 
Who would even know? Maybe it was something out of my mouth that, that helped you. Where did you show up today, God? Where were you? And then what was my response? How did I respond to that? Were there places where I was encouraged? Where I sensed love? Where I sensed, you know, uh, somebody who's come alongside of me? Who understood me? Or was there jealousy or anger or you know, frustration? Because that preacher just kept going on and on and on and I wanted to get out of here. What was it that you responded to? How did you respond? That's, that's what this discipline does. So the final definition is choosing to take time to examine God's activity in our lives. Okay, there they are. Those are the five Five survival kit disciplines. You, you, learn the, you learn the skill set of any of those five and each of those five. They will enhance any other discipline that you might choose to engage in. Okay? Father, thanks for letting us be together again this morning. We're grateful for your truth that has come to us through the ages. And we ask, Father, for the courage to be able to engage and choose that ancient path and to walk in it that we might find rest for our souls. In your name, amen. Our benediction this morning comes from the North Umbria community. This is a blessing we like to say over one another as we leave. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace.